Nadia Bilchik is a television news anchor, keynote speaker, author, trainer, and communications consultant. She has a wealth of experience interviewing and consulting with well-renowned figures, celebrities, and corporations. Nadia Bilchik. I am so delighted to have Professor Paula Kalajiri with us in this conversation. Paula is a professor of international studies at Northeastern. She's also the author of a book called Cultural Agility and the founder of Tasca Global. So let's start with that, Paula. Paula, tell us about Tasca Global. Sure, Nadia. Thanks for having me. Uh, Tasca is actually an acronym. It stands for Talent Solutions for Cultural Agility. Um, we basically help organizations, universities, help people become effective working in different countries and with people from different cultures. So we help with selection, assessment, training, development. Um, that's our lane. So a big part of your work up until recently was helping people get culturally agile to transition to other countries. Now that we're living in a virtual world, how and what advice do you have for those of us, like Juan, who's on the call, who have or are part of a global team? How do we better communicate with people from different cultures, continents, cities? Sure. I think the first thing we need to do is remember that just because we're in virtual space, it doesn't mean that we're interacting identically. So if you think about why do we even talk about culture? We talk about culture because no one is born with our behaviors. Those are socialized. It enables our brains to determine very quickly what's good, bad, right, wrong, professional, unprofessional. We do this within a fraction of a second. It's how we judge one another. We don't, we still do that even though we're in virtual space. So, so we have to talk about cultural differences because those still exist even if we're on Zoom calls like this one or conference calls. Um, or interacting via email or some other way of uh, interacting via technology. So that the, the, the discussion of culture still matters, even though we're all working remotely. So you're on a team, you have somebody who's in China, somebody who's in India, you have people here and in different cities. You say the first thing is, is the awareness of self and being aware that we do tend to have, whether we call them unconscious or conscious bias, right? What questions do you think we could ask people? What practically can we do that is not offensive? And one of the things you speak about, I think, is radical regard and respectful curiosity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I think we have to realize that you know we want to be able to build trust with one another, gain credibility with one another, be able to collaborate, communicate, be effective with one another. Um, the way we build trust, though, is culturally determined. So some people build trust with colleagues because of their warmth, their likability, their connection. Other people build trust because of their competence, because of what they've done, because of what they've achieved. So part of our challenge when we have that multicultural team is that if we're brand new to working with each other, we want to be able to, each team member, present themselves, who they are, what they do, but balance out both. So almost making sure everyone's covered, both the, the what makes them unique and human, but also what makes them great at what they do. So a, a really terrific best practice that we've done on a lot of our global teams is we'll give everyone one page, kind of a PowerPoint slide type thing, 
to introduce themselves with images, photos. It could be their favorite place. It could be pictures of their kids, whatever they're culturally comfortable sharing. And the idea is to have everybody connect with each other in the way that's most culturally determined by them. So that, that's one really good practice is start strong, make sure you understand a little bit about each other. Um, you know, we also want to make sure that we can find connections somehow. Um, we can pretty quickly override cultural differences if we start to see something similar about each other. It could be, you know, both having teenagers or it could be that um, going to school in uh, the same country, whatever that might be. It's something that connects us to each other. So for someone who is on this particular call, and I'll go back to one who is part of a global team, would you say he should say to his team, before we begin today's meeting, something I'd like us to do, how, how would you frame it? I wouldn't surprise people with that because that, that too is, is culturally different. Americans love it. Yeah, you know, bring it on. We love to brainstorm. We love kind of in the moment creativity. Uh, other cultures certainly do not. Um, probably, you know, Juan, I guess this one is to you. If your multicultural team was meeting for the first time, you might want to prepare uh, a sample of what an introduction slide might be, give everyone a, an example, and then give them a time frame, how long, it, you know, to what to include, what to, how long it should take to, to be a part of the, um, of that introduction. So that's a really good way to start the team. Um, starting the team also, you know, after you've gone through those introductions, having some ground rules set, because that, that's the other piece that we often forget about with culture. We don't, we, we assume we have the same definition of um, return something to me quickly. We assume we have the same definition of what does quickly mean or, um, response time, emails, how are we going to communicate, how frequently, how often, uh, how are we going to transfer information, to whom, who do we CC, when do we include our boss. It, it, these are all cultural nuances that we don't even have to think about when we're working monoculturally, but we definitely have to think about when we're working cross-culturally. So you said something interesting. You said, as Americans, we are open for surprises. We kind of used to the whole brainstorming and the icebreakers. Um, it, although we don't like to stereotype in your experience, in your book, Cultural Agility, in working with executives to prepare them to be culturally agile. Are there certain things, for example, about an Asian culture or European culture that you find that in fact are specific to that culture? Oh, of course, of course. There's lots of cultural dimensions that we need to understand. Um, Certainly, before you go to work in another culture, you want to be prepared for what you might experience when you're there. As you said, it's not a stereotype. It doesn't mean that you necessarily will experience formality in Germany or high context speech in Japan, but these are their, their tendencies. They're likely to occur, and you have to be prepared to understand how to manage them when, when you're there. Uh, but something like, like brainstorming is, is actually a great example because it's viewed as, as being such a waste of time in cultures that are far more um, deliberate, more planful, more um, do deeper analyses, a little less focus on the creativity, a little bit more on, on deeper analysis. So 
there's lots of cultural differences. Uh, most leaders really do just need to fully understand what they're getting themselves into and then what, know what to do when they're in that situation. So sometimes they need to really adapt their behaviors. Sometimes they need to understand how to integrate their behaviors with another culture's behaviors. I think what's fascinating about your work is one goes, you get people who one says are natural leaders or have natural emotional intelligence or natural cultural agility. But what you've proved in your work is in fact, you can teach this. Right, right. It's a combination. You know, when we think about culturally agile professionals, it's always a combination of awareness, which I just spoke about, what it, what's going on in the culture in which you're working, and then their competencies. And, and every one of the competencies has its own recipe. And every one of those recipes includes a little bit of how you're hardwired with a whole lot of things you could learn how to do. <laughs> so the, the typical cross-cultural competency like uh, resilience, for example. Resilience has some dispositional traits in how, in how your body handles dopamine and serotonin, but it also has things like coping skills that you can learn. Um, so, so every competency has a combination of that sort of natural hardwiring with, with a whole lot of um, things you can develop. That's interesting, Paula, because I get asked all the time, you know, network to enhance a diverse and inclusive business environment. We all understand the need for diversity, for inclusion in a global world. And yet it still remains, which is fascinating because there's an awareness, it still remains such a priority for organizations. Are they still speaking about, let's have a summit on diversity and inclusion? So why even now is there still this issue around the ability to really create these multicultural, diverse, inclusive business environments? Well, there's, there's lots of wonderful research on the benefits of a multicultural group in, in solving problems. As you can imagine, you know, these diverse teams are better able to solve innovative, creative problems. You can touch broader markets. You understand local tastes and preferences of clients and customers. The, the reasons are long. Why it's not so in, intuitive, though, why we're just not, not doing it, it, is because I think none of us think we're bad at it. We all think we're, we're pretty good. People are people, and we can connect with each other. Um, when, in fact, to be really effective in a multicultural environment it kind of go back to you need that formula. You need both those that awareness of how countries and cultures differ, but also those competencies. And and again and again, people who sort of approach this, but people are people, and you know we're all just trying to do our best. They when they, they that's very well meaning, but they sort of forget that every human has a limbic system, and every human's limbic system is processing each other through a lens that is maybe making it more challenging to work in a, in a collaborative way multiculturally. So we need to talk about diversity and inclusion um, because it's good. For, it's the right thing for the business. It's the right thing. It's the right thing for employees and stakeholders and customers. Um, but, but it's also, we still have to talk about it because we're still not very good at it. So I'm curious, one, if you don't mind unmuting, and I'm sorry to put you on the spot because that's exactly what Paula said we shouldn't do, but I am curious to hear from you. Your experience in corporate America 
have you experienced prejudice? Do you ever feel that people around you need training in really expanding their ability to truly connect with people who at first glance may appear different from them? Mm, no, I haven't experienced prejudice at all in the U.S. Um, I probably didn't pay attention to it. I don't really <laughs> care much about that. But, uh, um, so, but no, I think my, my, my company is more of a global company and it's always been working in global companies. So now um, dealing more on a global level, my, my experience has been that with the Europeans and, and the Asian countries are quite different. In what way? In what way are they different, one? How do they approach, I think, problems? How do they look for solutions? And especially, I guess, the engagement level is different because they engage in a different way. To me, that's been quite hard to overcome. Um, in the Americas, the approach is, I will say, quite similar in a way. But when you move to Europe, it's, it's a bit more somber. <laughs> when you go to Asia, it's very quiet. So... And it's hard to pull answers sometimes from the teams. So, um, but they, you know, there's some who are like more like little types. So they kind of um, are my support center, my support um, in, in those teams that they actually pull ideas and start pushing people to be more, you know, outspoken. So you already have that awareness that Paula speaks about. You do. Paula, advice or guidance for the people who maybe are less educated and less evolved in terms of their understanding of this than Juan? So it always goes back to, of course, hold true to your heart that people are people. Everyone deserves to be treated equally. But but keeping in mind that we've been socialized. Juan, you use the word more somber. you know, Americans, people who work with Americans for the first time, they say that we always seem like when we smile, we seem like we're plugged in because we're like we're always kind of upbeat and on and super energetic. And, and that's that's a that's what we've been socialized to do and to be. But for us as for Americans to go into a, a, a country that you described as, as more somber, in order to gain credibility, we need to realize we need to pull that back and look more serious, act more seriously. Um, not jump in quite as much. You mentioned in working in Asia, you mentioned it being quiet. Um, Americans have a tendency, we might not totally talk over each other, but we definitely don't leave a lot of airspace between people talking. When we go into Asia and use that same strategy, we'll, we'll be perceived as being you know, rude, um, controlling, aggressive when all we're trying to do is show that we're engaged. So it, the same the same exact behavior can have such a very different interpretation uh, because of how we've all been socialized. So it's important for, certainly in one's case, he gets it, um, but in other, for others who, who aren't experienced in it, they, they really do need to understand how things might be different. Um, and at the same time, understand the competencies that they can use in order to be successful. Paula, you at Tesco Global, you can actually give people assessments around this and and work with them. So please share with anyone who's watching this who says, I would like to be more culturally agile. I need some help. Sure, sure. So we offer a tool called the Cultural Agility Self-Assessment that's used by a lot of organizations in development workshops. 
So these, this is an assessment tool that individuals take themselves. They receive a developmental report with lots of tips into how, how to build each of their cross-cultural competencies, some ways to leverage their cross-cultural strengths. Um, so that's been, that's been really effective. We also offer a selection test for companies that say, you know what, we've got a global project, we have a, a team leader, we need somebody who's going to be really good at this. And the, uh, our organizations are using that as a selection test. We've seen more recently, like during the, the whole COVID uh, pandemic reality, that companies are starting to do a bench strength analysis to really understand who do they have within the ranks who are more culturally agile. The logic is that there's not going to be quite as many people going forward who will be working in these global roles, but those who are in the future really do need to be great at this. So, so they're, uh, they're trying to understand who that, what their bench is like now. Is there any tip for us in this virtual environment when you're sitting on your screen and you've got 10 different people, 10 different countries, any way, and again, I think your first point around just thoughtfulness and awareness and having that, and I really like that one and uh, Sumaya on the call where you say to people, I'm going to give you an example of my one sheet at the next meeting. Could, please, could you each present that? I think that's a brilliant way and people can interpret it to their level of comfort. But anything else about being on the call, asking people, look, we know you're from different countries. Can you let us know the following? I mean, would you agree it's also okay to say, how would you like us to work with you? Mm -hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. You, you can have a dialogue. I, I think some, to some extent we've, we've heightened anxiety around talking about cultural differences and they're nothing more than how we were socialized. So I, I think they should be comfortable conversations. Um, team leaders can go a long way in setting that tone by reflecting, hey, my style is a little more casual. I realize this isn't going to be comfortable for everyone. Let's try to figure out what works or, or is this okay? Um, making things a little more structured also helps. Okay, we're going to go around the group. Everyone's going to have, you know, blank number of minutes to offer a conversation or offer their, their opinion. Um, ideally prepping people for that, encouraging people, this is a small one, but encouraging um, uh, cultures that are like eye contact, encouraging people to look into the camera. It's like looking into someone's eyes, but not every culture appreciates eye contact quite as much. So for those cultures that do, to not interpret that negatively. Uh, and, and then uh, of course, the use of silence that Silence in some cultures means you're thinking. Silence in other cultures means you're, you're disengaged. So, so interpreting that more generously and assuming that everyone needs a little bit more time to process. Professor Paula Calagieri, the author of Cultural Agility, uh, founder and CEO of Tasca Global. Um, I will make sure that you have all her contact details. Paula, just any last thoughts as we continue in this virtual reality? I think especially because we're in this virtual reality, when, when humans are in a state of stress, they, they tend to cling to familiar. And that, that as somebody who studies culture and wants people to be effective in multicultural environments, that scares me, that if we're all clinging to familiar, that can reinforce um, one right, right way of doing things. So my 
piece of advice is for the organizations out there, please continue to, to put your folks in situations where they can interact with people from different cultures. Give them the tools to be great at it because it's worth it. Thank you, Paula Kalajeri. My pleasure. Thank you.